Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. The word legend has become much overused and much devalued. However, on December the 5th, 2023, a genuine legend passed away. Rally driver, racing driver, and general fast driver, Rosemary Smith, passed away in Dublin, quietly with her friends in the Beacon Hospital. Rosemary was many things to many people, also better known as Rosie to her friends, of which I was fortunate enough to class myself as one. She began as a co-driver, and then, like many co-drivers, moved into rallying, considering that she could do a better job behind the wheel than the person she was navigating for. She went on, alongside her well-known co-driver, Valerie Domlio, to secure victory in the four-day Dutch Tulip Rally, she was disqualified from the Monte Carlo rally, but it didn't deter her. She went on to many, many great things. She made the Hillman Imp famous, the Hillman Imp made Rosie famous, and together they forged a phenomenal partnership. But that wasn't all. She drove for Ford in the London Sydney, Ford in the London Mexico, she drove for Porsche. Opel, Lancia, Chrysler, Talbot, and she had a phenomenal association with Renault. Besides setting a new land speed record in 1978 in Cork, in May 2017, at the age of 79, she became the oldest person to ever drive an 800 brake horsepower Renault F1 car at Circuit Paul Ricard in France, and she did an exceptional job of driving it, everybody was impressed. In 2018, she penned her autobiography, Driven, from which the podcast was taken in 2019, when I was fortunate enough to spend yet another day with her when she was in England to enjoy the Hillman Imp Owners Club annual get-together. She was, of course, guest of honour She'd been president and chairman of the club for many, many years, and on remember, the Hillman Imp boys and girls couldn't get enough of Rosie. And in 2022, she was inducted into the Fédération Internationale de Véhicules Ancien Hall of Fame. She had a driving school. She was still active. She loved driving fast cars fast. In fact, she enjoyed driving any car fast. Her passion for motoring, for motorsport and for rallying and to encourage women in motorsport knew no bounds. She was fantastic to spend time with. She was funny. She would tell you stories that didn't make it into the autobiography and no way would they be repeated with a live microphone anywhere near. But Rosie Smith was just Rosie. She was great to be with. 
and as I said, her passion for motorsport and rallying knew no bounds. From the moment she first drove a car, the passion to be behind the wheel and to outperform anybody and everybody nearby never left her. And she was the equal of all her contemporaries, all her fellow drivers, and her determination to win or do well was legendary. So sit back and enjoy my 2019 chat with the one, the only, Rosemary, Rosie Smith. From a pot of tea to TT motorbikes. From a classic English breakfast to a full serving of classic cars. Bridge House Tea Rooms is the Northwest Premier Classic Car Meeting location for cars, bikes, tractors, and owners' clubs. So, no matter what your automotive appetite might be, visit Bridge House Farm Tea Rooms on their Facebook page or call John and Alicia on 07980444221 for show details and to reserve your own table and parking space. Well-known racing driver, rally driver, she describes herself a uh, designer, model, iconic sportswoman, style addict. The oldest woman to drive a modern Formula One car in 2017 when she drove an 800 brake horsepower Renault Paul Ricard. Her other claim to fame uh, disqualified in 1966 from the Monte Carlo Rally after winning the Coupe de Dalle. Uh, won the Tulip Rally outright in 1964 in an Ilman Imp, but it's really... Ilman Imps made you famous, and you made Ilman Imps famous, but Rosemary Smith has made herself famous all over. Rosemary, welcome to Backseat Driver Radio Show, Motoring Northwest. Thank you. How did all this come about? Because, I mean, there's a story at 13 of you having to drive your mother to the uh, doctors after she electrocuted herself, and you just jumped in the car at 13 and reversed the other driver. No, it wasn't quite like that. No, it was not. No, what happened was my dad had a garage and uh, he, there were three of us, Pamela, Roger and myself, and he said, there are two things you must do. One is learn to drive, the other is learn to swim. And uh, Pamela, my older sister, wasn't interested. She didn't bother. Roger, of course, loved it being a boy. He just wanted to get and drive. And I was the youngest. And uh, we went out to a field that we owned just outside Dublin. And he just said, right, now I'm going to teach you how to drive and what to do and so on and so on. So that was when I was um, 13. And he was great because he just kept saying, go faster. Why don't you go faster? And this was on grass, which was grand because it slipped and slid and did all the things that it really, I stood to be in good stead at that stage. But anyway, I didn't realize. I just said, fine, I, I would do it. And I thought it was great fun. I really loved it because, you know, wide open field and big steering wheel. Because, I mean, the old cars had steering wheels about this, and a gear lever about this length, you know. It was, it was really, they were difficult enough. But my father was very calm, always very calm. He, he raced a little bit himself in a very amateur way. And uh, like everybody back in those days, like he put his car together himself and he could get pole position, but and then it blew up about a few laps later. Uh, oh, no, it was frustrating to say the least. But anyway, I learned to drive, and then just a, a year and a half or so later, I went into our kitchen where had a stone flagged floor, and my mother had been washing something, and 
the plugs went arsed in those days and we had an electric fire and she went to pull the plug out and of course it wasn't arsed and the next thing on I could see sparks flying. Luckily I was there and uh, she just fell down on the floor. But while she was falling, she pulled the plug so the contact was mm. gone. So I thought she'd get up, you know. When I was 13, I was a child, not like they are today. But I couldn't see on you know, young adults. But anyway, uh, so I thought, you know, what do I do next? But I've never thought of going out and picking up the telephone. That never entered my head. So I decided now I sort of knew how to drive. And uh, the car was in a very narrow driveway, so I had to drag my mother up out of the kitchen, up a few steps, into the hall, down. She had more bruises on her head tell you by the time she came back to life again. But got her into the car, and uh, then I started, and I had to reverse down the drive. And of course, the drive being so narrow, and I really didn't care. I, I hit it off one side, and then off the other side, I saw walls down. So I got her onto the road. Luckily, like in those days, there wasn't much traffic, and uh, got it into first gear. <laughs> there it stayed, I can tell you, but, uh, down the road, and the doctor wasn't too far away. So I could swing into his driveway, up to his hall door, and I got out, and I said, you know, I think I've killed my mother. She's in the <laughs> car and such and such. So he went out, and oh, no, she was alive. So he resuscitated her and so on, and they called the ambulance, and she went off to hospital. Oh, she was fine. I mean, it was really just such a, a boat. She yeah. got knocked her out, basically. But, no, I was glad I had learned. At least I could get her there, if you know what I mean. But um, and then, as I say about the swimming, <laughs> I learned to swim. My dad, again, of course, taught me to swim. And we were in Spain a few years later, and we were at a swimming pool. And the next thing I could see this youngster, I mean, she was probably about 10, and she was going up and down at the water, and she was Spanish, and she was yelling and so on. And so, She's drowning. Nobody's taking the slightest notice of her. So I dived into the swimming pool in great style. And she had this long hair, and I got by the <laughs> hair. And I started bending back over to the, the wall and up the swimming pool. And they sort of helped them and helped. And the family came over with Spanish. <laughs> what are you doing to our daughter? I said, she's drowning. No, she was only playing. So I said, that's the end of my, you know, saving people from the drowning. drowning. No, thank you. They know what they like from here on in. But I know. Good fun. But then after that, uh, like, my dad was a Protestant. We were all Catholics. Went to Catholic school. The nun rang my dad when I was about 15 and said, you know, come and take your daughter. She's stupid. She won't be working. <laughs> well, he was annoyed about that. But what she, what the nun meant, actually, so she said, is that, uh, you know, she really is stupid. She's plenty of brains, but she just won't use them. I had no interest. I had no interest in schoolwork whatsoever. I loved job empathy which stood me, obviously, in very good stead then. And then I liked maths, I liked English, you know, all these various things. And uh, that's and drawing and painting and, you know, anything to do with my hands was fine. And uh, so that's what, what we did, uh, what I did. But when it came to Irish or French or mathematics, well, like, who, who uses geometry? <laughs> Well, I certainly don't, because I couldn't make head or tail of it. But anyway, um, so he took me away, but I was only 15, and it was wrong. He should have brought, take me away and put me in another school. I mean, it's, it's, I realized that years later, because I really didn't have very good education. 
And uh, well, just wait. It hasn't done you study in too bad a step, I mean, yeah, but it, it's fine if I want to do things. You know, as I say, like well, I could hang wallpaper, I could paint windows, this sort of thing. But the girls didn't do that. <laughs> now they do everything. They do what they please, basically. No, it didn't. But then I became a dress designer because I was always, my mom was going to dress making that sort of thing. So I went to the Grafton Academy. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, to me, it was child's play. It was sort of cutting patterns and measuring and fine at that and designing dresses. And I specialised in wedding dresses and ballroom dresses. And But again, you see, I wasn't a, a good business person because I made a wedding dress and uh, supplied the material and everything. And this girl had uh, six bridesmaids, three children, her going away outfit and her mother's wedding outfit. Uh, but she kept saying, I'll pay you now, I'll pay you, I'll, I'll pay you, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. Then she got married. So her name changed from her maiden name to her married name. So she said, well, Mrs. such and such. She didn't order them. So you go after the Miss such and such. So I never got paid. So that put me really out of business. But luckily, in the meantime, I met this woman. She'd come in for clothes. And she was the one who introduced me to Radding. So I went riding with her and we did quite a few and then we had a big accident. I walked away from her and she had 49 stitches around the top of her head. She survived. But I'm really, you see, this is, sounds terrible, but I said, if you're going to be a co-driver, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. Now, normally the drivers are okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, the drivers are, because they've got, well, we all have roll cages and now gracious and all that sort of carry on. But then it was, was a stealthy now. She was a heavy woman anyway, but the sink belts were very minor as they were in the beginning and uh, they broke. And, um, you know, she just went straight up and hit the sunshield. Yeah. And it literally scalped her 49 stitches around the top of her head. But, you know, she's, she went to it and uh, she came riding with me again afterwards. Because she, what, what really the thing was that she was, um, she was married and she was having an affair with another man. So the only way really she'd get to see the other man was to go ratting. <laughs> and I didn't know all of this. No, no, I didn't know it in the beginning at all. I only learned it afterwards. But anyway, uh, so that was that. Then we decided we'd do the RAC in the November, which was the real RAC, you know, that it ran through day. The proper one. That, yeah, I always call it the proper one. It's like the Circle of Ireland, they still call the nonsense up in the north. <laughs> but uh, no, that's, it's not it. I, I told them they'd have to call it the Easter Rally because, mm. I mean, the Circle of Ireland was brilliant. Mm. The RAC was brilliant. And in the book, actually, I, I have a lovely picture of myself and Jim Clark, and he was doing it that year. And uh, it was about 3 a.m. at Scotch Corner, and we were having breakfast at 3 a.m., mind you. <laughs> And I'm feeding him sausages or rashes or something. It's a nice picture. I showed to you in my book, Driven. Yes, well, well that's one of the films I hear to know we are here to love. Rosemary's new book, Driven, of which there won't be more later. Well, I mean, when you started out, what did you start What did you start driving? Because, I mean, you didn't, did you go straight into Will Nips? Or did you start oh, no, with... no, 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 no. They came a long time later. No, I started in... A Triumph Herald, would mm. you believe? And it was these sort of little round mm. pylons and all that sort of thing. As I was going forward, I was trying to get it into reverse. Mm. And of course, the drive shaft kept breaking one after the other, after the other, after the other. <laughs> so that came to sort of grinding malt. And then I went into uh, hill climbing and that sort of thing. 
And a friend of my brother's actually, uh, he lent me his MG T A or T D or one of those old things, you know, with wheels each corner. That's as far as I know about cars. I really know nothing about them. I know if they go. The bottom how to drive them reasonably quickly. Well, yes, but that's, I mean, now, yesterday we were out on this run around here and I was actually navigating, though I vowed I could never navigate. I, I just didn't like it. Yeah. I, I had no interest in it whatsoever. Uh, but yesterday, anyway, I sat with this lovely man and he was driving and I said, leave it with me. And, you know, after a while, I thought he would realise that I knew what I was doing mm -hmm. because I was just ticking them off as we went to this junction and that right. junction, you know. But um, even with that now, I, I was holding the road book down like this and I'd say, now, come into Tia and turn left. And he'd go, and he'd be bending over to have a look at the road as <laughs> well, you know. I know he's, he was lovely, but no, uh, after that, then, uh, as I say, we went into the minis. And these were Delphine's husband's minis we drove. And then we went to do the RSC in Great Britain. And then I came back to Dublin, and that's the November. And then early December, I got a call from Sally Ann Cooper, Cooper's aerosol flight race, and she said she was doing the Monte Carlo rally because that was in the January, and she had a, an ex works rapier. So she said, you know, we're going to go three up. So there was myself, herself, and a lovely girl called Pat Wright, Pat Smith, as she is now. And uh, I said, why not? Sure, might as well. But that year it was very snowy and icy, and I, the only thing I'd driven on before that was the grass. Mm. Similar thing, turn into it, and you know. So that was all right. So we slipped from the slop, slipped from Edinburgh the whole way down. Sally Ann sitting in the back, mm. waving to the crowd <laughs> at the picnic basket and the fur coat, you know. I, I wouldn't get away with it nowadays. But anyway, so that was that, and uh, we got to Monte Carlo. Uh, we stayed in their villa. They had a beautiful villa in Villefranche. And then I went to the, the prize giving and all at the end of it. And uh, Norman Garrett came up. And I didn't know who he was, hadn't a clue who he was. But to me, he was a slimy old man. The hair <laughs> back with braid cream and, you know, sort of, you know, the way some men's hair turn out at yeah. the end, you know. So I thought, yeah. And he said, uh, I'd like you to be, you know, our, our works ladies team. And having been out of bed for day and night day, I said, no, thank you. And that was that. So I came back home and my dad, who's my that's a lovely man. And I said, this fellow came up and he said, would I like to be a work driver? I told him. Oh, the only time he was ever really cross with me, ever really, really. He said, now I know you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too shy. But anyway, um, so unbeknownst to me, my mother wrote to Norman Garrett and said, as from me, said, you know, I'm so sorry, Ed, you know, I was too tired after the event and so on, and I'd love to be your women's team. So the next I knew it was in the February, and I got a letter saying, you're now a member of the Works Rally team. So, so then the first rally we did was, I, I drove rapiers for a number of years, and then after that was Alpines, and then the imps came into being. And whereas the boys, a lot of them, they were initially very rough with them and they're delicate enough. They're better nowadays because they've got all the new parts mm. and that sort of thing. But they were delicate. And so that's, and I, I stayed with that. And then I had one 
Oh, so many cooler dams, much are saying, and then they say the children. And it was good. It was, even if we didn't finish something, I never looked back. I never had regrets. Some people say, oh, only I hadn't done, well, well, only, you know. even the Monte Carlo when we were all disqualified. You know, I said, well, it's over and done with. There's nothing you can do about it. Don't mind me asking, why were you disqualified? Oh, it was doing the headlights. They said they were the wrong height beam and they were, they had to get something because we were out in a recce in the December and we stopped at various garages for fuel and so on. This one man said to us, you know, why are you bothering? You know, you were not going to win anything because centenary year in Monaco. And it means a French car must win and a French driver must win. So we won the Kuna down and we were well up in class and that sort of thing. It was Thibaut Mackin and Paddy Hopkirk and Rena Walton and all in many, they were first, second and third, and they were all disqualified as well. So that was that. And uh, they, those had an uproar over that, a real uproar. But the girls who hadn't even finished, they were French girls in the Citroën, so they hadn't finished, but they still won the Coup d'État. And there was a Swedish driver, or a Swedish or Finnish, I can't remember, driving a Citroën okay, but he wasn't French. So he said, they said he was the winner, and he said, no, I'm not the winner. And he wouldn't take the, the, uh, the trophy. He was very good now in that, because, not mind he lost his drive with them after that, as you can imagine. But he said, no, if, if all the other English are being disqualified, I'm not eligible, I'm, I'm not French. So that was that, and then we didn't do it again for a number of years. And then uh, I thought, where did I go after that? Oh, yes, then I think, what did Chrysler bought? Uh, yeah, Chry that Chrysler bought out routes, and they all changed the names. And... Yeah, and then they went back to Persia after that. But uh, Norman had gone, and uh, then there was uh, the other man after that. And like uh, he just wasn't making any headway. But uh, that was Marcus Chambers. And then uh, Des O'Dell was the head mechanic at that stage. And he was always everywhere and he knew all about the cars and he did everything. I mean, he was really good. But when it all changed over again, and I said to Brian Roots, I said, you know, you have the man working for you already who would be a very good manager. You don't have to call him competition manager if you don't, but that's what he is. And he had everything, he knew exactly where the points should be for the service and how many miles and how much petrol he needed to carry and so on and so on and so on. He was really meticulous. So that was grand. So he got the job and he wasn't in it six months when he sacked me. <laughs> now, I mean, people say, oh, no, that wasn't right. I know it was right because at that stage, Andrew had, Andrew Cowan mm -hmm. was driving for them. He had uh, introduced Louise Aiken Walker who was his sort of protégé up in Scotland. And he said, Des apparently took a, well, she was very good. I'm not saying she wasn't. But then, you know, she had much better cars because she went straight into driving the Peugeots. And, uh, but she's actually a lovely person. But she got an MBE or one of these things because she drove it into an ache in, in Spain and got out of it. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but it was after that she got the MBE. But, I mean, it didn't matter what I won. I wasn't going to get anything like that because after all, I was only Irish. So, <laughs> well, every Irishman and Irish woman I've ever met all drive like rally drivers. I mean, there's the old saying, if you see a road, if you see a road and a sign in the Republic of Ireland that says, slow down, 
dangerous corner. That's the uh, that's the sign where you change from fifth to third and floor it. <laughs> uh, as time went on, I mean, you stopped rallying as such. I mean, take us from there to where we are now. I mean, besides the book of which we are here to plug, uh, from there, where did your motor racing career go? And of course, you you, went, you carried on doing the other things that you did. No, I, I actually didn't. I gave up the dress designing because the thing of standing around a table cutting up bits of fabric just or driving over the Alps. Now, mm. which would you like to do? It's the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> no, the next thing there was then the London Sydney, which I did in a Los Cortina for Ford of Ireland. Being PI 77, I always remember that car. It was gorgeous, but burnt its pistons out and we had to reverse over the Khyber Pass. And we got to Sydney, but I mean, you know, it, it was such a, a, an effort. 12,000 miles up through Afghanistan and Pakistan, India, then down to Fremantle and then across the Nedabar Desert and on two pistons going chuk 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 chuk. <laughs> no, I was determined I was getting there. I didn't care. And the girl at Moore came with me and she was French. and. Uh, you said one day she and I did not hit it off mm -hmm. at all. But anyway, she tells one story, I tell another. She wanted to manger and she was fatigue and she didn't like right hand drive cars and she didn't like forts and she didn't want to drive, you know, and she oh. I got so fed up that and then her mother gave her a garlic sausage of all things. And <laughs> no, no, Madrid, Milan and plus a little knife. And as we got hotter and hotter going down through the mm. countries and the smell of this garlic, so <laughs> open the window, do something, get rid of that. And she, come on. No, she didn't understand. She understood bloody well what I meant. But anyway, uh, so eventually I just couldn't stand it any longer. So I grabbed it from her and threw it out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first bit of us not getting on. But anyway, uh, there were lots of other incidents after that. But too many too to have to worry about. And then I did London, Mexico, which was 17,000 miles, and that was British Island in a maxi, a 1475 cc engine. Oh, dear. The powerful one. I never got the powerful one. That's what I'm saying. They were always, because I was only a bird, you yeah. know, so I let them run around there at the back of the field. Don't thank you, I'm not running in the back of any field. So that was that. And then after that, uh, I went driving escorts for R.E. Hamilton in the north of Ireland. These I love. We did all the British uh, Rally Championships for three years. Pauline and I did those, and we won everything we went in for, basically. Then somebody said to be a really good driver, you had to be a racing driver. So I gave up the rallying, and I went racing, so, which was brilliant. And I loved to accept, you know, I just got bored going round and round and round and round and round. And then I did things like Daytona 24-hour uh, in a... An Alpine entry, Sunbury Alpine. And then I did uh, Sebring, 12 hour. And the one time I had a really good car, it was uh, Lotus 22. And it was a, a, an American car that was doing it, and an English car. There were three of us because you had to do some and so on. And because she was American, she had to start the race. Mm. So it was absolutely, I think I'd put on about the third row as a grid with Ferraris and Porsches and things. So I was quite pleased with that because it was fast mm. for a change. So of course she started and she went around the first, mm. around the second, around third, and then down the straight, then there was a hairpin uh, and it was all sand here. 
and then you went away from the hairpin up and around and onto the back straight, which is a disused um, airfield. And uh, oh, this woman thought she was going to be the first woman into space. So she was so nervous in the car and, you know, she she had wakey wakeys and sleepy sleepies and uppies and uppies and downy down. I said, what do you want? Oh, well, you know. Anyway, so she went down to the hairpin and stuck it straight into the sand. Very first lap. So it said, now it's rear engine. And instead of letting the marshes push her out, she revved the engine. Mm. And all she did was suck all the sand in. Yeah. And she went bang. We were out. I wasn't very pleased. <laughs> but we did see bring on a number of times frog eyed sprites and all a BMW at one stage. I just enjoyed it all. The long races I enjoyed it. But then I said, ah well, you know, and then I came back to riding again. So I I, I only after I financially got into also difficulty because my husband had left and left a lot of debts and then Oh, just one thing to another. It's in the book. Buy the book. <laughs> no, no, I said it to you. It's not a book all about driving. Seriously, it's it's a nice story. And going through the downs and ups, and you know, you've got to be strong. You, I could have sent back then. I mean, I'd know I'm a Christian for a while. You know, I had two dogs, so the dogs and I used to eat Maltesers, which <laughs> the very worst thing you can feed a dog is chocolate, as you know. But there was Lackey on one side, he was a Labrador, and Zaff, a big uh, German shepherd. And I sat there in the dark, freezing cold, and uh, we had a little fish, fish pond thing out of the back. And I'm looking at it, and I thought, you know, but it only takes about a minute to drown. I could go out there, go face down in that. And those dogs knew exactly what I was thinking and where I was coming from. And one put a paw up on one side and looked at me. You know, dogs have these gorgeous eyes. Please, Rosie, don't do it. You know, and then Zach, of course, he was wonderful. He was a rescue dog. And um, he said the same thing. And I thought, stuff the lot of them. Stuff my ex-husband. Stuff everybody. No, I'm going to fight back now. So that was the time then, and I, I got an offer to have my face done. So I decided about time because I looked absolutely dreadful. You know, with worry, I got down to about seven stone and, and, and I'm very tall. Seven stone is a bit like a, a skeleton. So I decided, no, I'm going to go back. So I went down and then I had to go and, and uh, sign on for, um, you know, unemployed allowance and, you know. I mean, just don't that. That's interesting because when, when, you, when you sign on, you get asked, what do you do? That would be quite an interesting piece, which brought that in. No, I was very lucky in the fact that I didn't. I had no idea that, you know, you had to sign up and you had to do this, that, the other. But I met a very, very good lady, a lovely lady, and she was in one of these social departments, and I was told to go to her, and she would get it all worked out. And she knew who I was, and she said, listen, you have to go down to the nearest. But she said, I'll ring through and I tell the head man there that you're coming down to see you in his office. Mm. So I went down and I had the rain coat up like this, you know, and the half down the hair, <laughs> the dark glasses on. I was like something, you know, like a private detective would. <laughs> but anyway, and of course this man just walked through his door in front of, hello, Rosemary, how are you? <laughs> and I heard the tears running down my face and I felt such, I, I've never felt so low in all my life that I'd come from winning international events down to 
having nothing. So anyway, that was that. And I went in and they said, yes, certainly. But the ironic thing is they put me on a back to work allowance because my sister lived in America and she did all this uh, the junior driver training, driver's end, they call us out there. And I decided it'd be great for Ireland. So I decided that's what I might do. My very good friend, she lent me money to get a car. It was a little, uh, uh, no, the first one I got was a little Mazda. It's one thing and another. But anyway, it took off quite well. But then I went for back to work allowance, which you're allowed one year to set it up. First year, you don't make money in second year. So you have three years to sort of prove that it's a business. And um, anyway, the ironic part now is that all these years later, they want the money back. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not funny, and this is going on now. By the book. <laughs> but I mean, this is ridiculous. And you have to, you must give back. Uh, you must, I have to give into this crowd uh, 15 years of, yeah. you know, of the, you know, the accounts. And my accountant said, no, 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 it's seven years. Oh, no, it's 15 years. We must know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> 15 years of accounts, where would I have 15 years of accounts? Now, the accountant kept them seven years, that's it. I certainly didn't keep them. And, but then I lost the house, and then it all went through the courts, and it was tough going. And, and I just decided, no, I'm going to keep going and I just and do the best I can. So the house went, it was taken from me, and it was a beautiful house. So I'm now in a little house in the same area, which I'm quite happy is like, oh, nice neighbours now, because the other one, there were no neighbours around us, and it was, it was isolated. So that's where I am now, great neighbours, having a ball, doing talks, doing everything, and... Uh, driving uh, the driving Formula One. How, how did the drive in the uh, 2017 Renault F1 car come about? Well, I was sort of an ambassador, I say sort of an ambassador for Ford at one stage, and then when the new... Uh, um, the MD came in, mm. and he's a small little guy with a little grey beard. Mm. Not like yours at all. His was a little toy. <laughs> and anyway, he took one look at me, and I took look, one look at him, and instant dislike. Mm. And uh, then when he took over from the man that I knew that had given me the cars, uh, he said, uh, you know, out of the old, it was the new. So that was me gone. So then Renault heard that I wasn't with Ford any longer, and they got in touch and they said, we'd like you to come with us. So I went with them and I have a lovely uh, Renault all the time, new one every year. And I do a lot of stuff for them, talks, interviews and that sort of thing. But then we were at a dinner and this is a, the French director and he was working in London at the time. So he'd come over for the dinner and uh, James Boyer, he was gorgeous. Gorgeous. You see, I'm very tall, and when he was sitting beside me at the table. So, and if what do you do? And I explained what I did, and so on and so on. And I said, I don't like you French people anyway, you know. <laughs> going on like this, just I told about Monte Carlo, that sort of thing. I know we had a great evening together. And uh, then he said, uh, and you're staying driving, and so on. I said, oh, yes, anything I can get. Mm. So that was the end of the conversation. I stood up and he stood up, so I stood up and then he stood up. <laughs> he didn't realise, but anyway. But about three weeks later, I got a call to say, um, you're going to drive the Formula One, and it's out in Polaroid card, and we want your height and your measurements and your, you know, everything for the suits and for, you know. So I said, yeah, grabbed. Yeah. But anyway, it all transpired. 
And I flew out to Marseille and uh, went up straight over to Paul Ricard. And a beautiful place and the hotel. Oh, they were just magnificent. The restaurants at Ricard are very good. The ones above the pits last time I was there, the food was yes. fantastic. Yes, it was actually. But I tell you, I was so nervous. The first time I was really nervous. And I had my friend, she's here today as well. She's uh, came over from Dublin with me. But she uh, came out with me. And I was very glad she had because the Monday they fitted me in to the Formula One and it was get down, get out, go down, go down, go down. <laughs> and I just, I, if I'd gone down any further, as I said. Because you, you drive them with your like feet and feet above the rest of you in a Basically, about. basically. And I'd never driven with the paddles yeah. either. You know, I have a steering wheel. But, <laughs> but this was the thing, and which, which goes up, which goes down. I hadn't actually. But I didn't have enough time. But I went out in a, in a, a Renault, I'm sorry, in a Clio, a little sports Clio that they had there, and just to show me where the track went. Now, they didn't do the Grand Prix circuit. They, they sort of cut, and now I went up hill and down across the main track in places, quite twisty and so on. And then I went out in the form of a Renault, which was, I think, only 600 brake horsepower. And that was fine. I got on fine with that. And then the head man from Paul Ricard, he said, you know, I'll go out in front of you. Now, he said, don't try to pass me out, because if you do, you're not driving the Formula One. So I said, I've no intention. I couldn't catch him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we came in and he said, no, she's perfectly all right. Let her, she can go out. So that was that. And that was on, I'll say, the, maybe it was the Tuesday night. I can't remember. It was all so rushed. But the one thing, and um, Adam Prost was there as well, and I hadn't seen him for years down in Monte Carlo. He's lovely. I mean, he was really encouraging. But it was just amazing because there were so many people, mechanics, timers, drones, helicopters, ambulances, doctors. I said, I hope you have a dentist here. <laughs> but anyway, so that was that. And uh, I thought, well, they're obviously others going to be out as well. Not when I'm doing it, but I mean, I was only doing a few laps. But it, it just turned out that, no, these were all there for me. So that made me even more nervous. And anyway, I eventually, and I said to the PR man from Renault had come out from London, and I said, you know, really nice. Everything has RS. Everything has RS. And it's really nice. Rosie Smith, you know. He said, no, dear, Renault Sport. That's why we applied you, the initial batch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, that was all right. And uh, then just when I was going to go out in the car, one of the mechanics said, do you see that red button down there? And I said, uh, and I couldn't because you have a, a neck yeah. brace on. And so I put my hand out. He said, don't touch that. And I said, why, what is it? He said, if you crash and it bursts into flames, you just pull that. Yeah. Uh, thank you <laughs> very much. I was nervous enough at that stage. Anyway, then he, um, just when I was going out, this very nice man, he was had been showing me around and showing me the bends and that sort of thing. And he said, uh, and he said, of course, it's very difficult to get away from the pits, you know. It's very hard to get, you know, them. And he said, um, Jeremy Clarkson stalled and stalled and stalled and stalled. And I'd done a show with Jeremy Clarkson. I thought it was the biggest load of wingback and horrible man that I'd ever met. No, he knows exactly what I think from him. He was really nasty when I, I worked with him. But anyway, so he stalled it. And I said, if I have to get out and push it down the pit lane, I'm getting out and pushing it. So that really was a great help. And uh, so 
I start off and then I do earplugs and this other guy, he was saying, no, a bit more soft, a bit more soft, you know, come on, very, very, because the clutch seemed to be either down mm. or it was up. Yeah. <laughs> there was, no, there was no clutch, sure there wasn't. No wobbling, yeah. Oh, don't ask. Like that, that, that. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> Once I got used to it a bit and, uh, and then, you know, they said, go round. The learning of the track was no problem. Absolutely no problem. But, you know, it was trying to work the, the gears out and the bends, because some of them were very tight. Mm. And then some of them, because as I said, they, it wasn't a long Grand Prix circuit. They cut just after the pits, you took a right and you went down onto the back straight. And then instead of continuing in a straight line, I had to come up a little hill and around and bank down the far side and around and then back onto the straight. And then there was a good straight and then there was a a rise and then there was a right hand and another right hand and so anyway when when I sort of got a bit used to it and then I thought oh, to him, this is fun. I'd love to do it again now that I've done it. That but I'd like a bit more practice time. Yeah. Put it that way. But uh Johnny and Palmer was there, he was still with them and he he's such a gentleman, such a nice boy. And he was saying, Don't worry now. I mean really don't worry about uh <laughs> easier sent than done. But anyway, that was it. And then I came in. And what was lovely was when I came into the pit lane, all of the, there must have been 40 people, and they're all standing around, and they're all clapping away. And I thought, and they brought Pauline out, my co-driver. I, they brought her out from Bristol. And I only met her just as I was getting into the Formula One. And she bursts into tears. Oh, my brother. Well, what's wrong with you, you know? And then, because I thought, this is the end. She's coming to see me die. <laughs> and, and, and the whole thing, looking back on it, was a great experience. So and that's how that happened. So I'm still with Reno, and I'm giving these talks now about old age and you know, how, how to deal with old age. Because on, on Wednesday next, listen to this, this, well, this will go out, because your program doesn't go out for weeks, but I'd be 82. And I think that's good. And now I'm here in England and with James. And next weekend I'm back again for the Tiger Club. And then after that there's a race in Mondeno. And then after that there's the Deja Vu, which I have the 4.7 D-shirt uh, Sunbeam Tiger. And I'm going back to America for the Sunbeam Tiger do next year and so on. So as long as I'm able to do it, I do it. But so, but, but before we wind up, what's the book called? Driven. It's and not... where can they get it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a bit of a sore point at the moment. Well, yeah, I think it's a shame because the numbers of people who have actually asked me, people stop me in the street that I don't know at all. This is in Ireland, of course. But the people here now, they said some of them got it on Amazon, but there is a new edition coming out. They sold out straight away. What happened was that the man from uh, the publisher he, when we asked if we wanted to buy some ourselves to bring to England the first time, he said to, to this Fred who was organising, he said, well, I don't know why you're bringing it to England. After all, nobody knows they're over there. <laughs> so that was uh, my friend Martin. He verbally went through for a short course, I can tell you. But they are coming out again, so I'm told, in September. But, I mean, I've tried Eason's, mm. W.H. Smith, Dubray, uh, and all, I mean, there are supermarkets or everywhere that have them. And, you know, but the thing is, what annoys me about it all is that when they're not selling them, I'm not making any money. So that's why I bought the first lot myself. And uh, and I had to pay, uh, you know, the, uh, sorry, the wholesale price. 
And uh, then I ordered, that was 500, then I ordered another 500. And uh, they're virtually all gone now. I have a few here today, but not too many. Well, to wait a bit more money. I mean, you can always sell the rights to Holly. Wait till the film come out. Well, actually, that you should say that. There's a documentary being done, yeah. and then there is a two-part series. Uh, I mean, I won't be in it. It'll just be a story about sort of a racing driver or a rally driver and the ups and downs in life and things that you face and have to face and break up with marriages and losing your house and losing money. And But it shouldn't have a happy ending. But I haven't found another man. Any man I see these days, he doesn't want an 82-year-old. <laughs> Mind you, if I had loads and loads and loads of money and had a mansion in, in somewhere in the Ireland, that might be different, you know, but no, no, I'm quite happy on my own. I really am. Rosemary Smith, thank you for spending, for spending 40 minutes chatting to me. That's been fantastic. Is that all? Can That's we... all. Can we... no, no, she wants no, to no, no, go again. No more no, putting part no, two no. away to that. Rosemary Smith, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And you're gorgeous. <laughs> thank you very much. And I am buying a copy of the book. The Backseat Driver podcast is brought to you in association with Tim Nash and the Lombard Rally Festival, the UK's premier classic rally demonstrations. From the awesome Group B cars to cars from the golden era of rallying, go to the Lombard Rally Bath social media for dates and venues. Rarely beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business. And when it comes to tyre expertise and advice, to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle's specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hoddy Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytyres.co.uk. 